Um, let's all pray together. Father God, um, we are excited to embark on this new journey. We're going to take this, this study seriously, and we're going to look to see um, more clearly your plan, your word, and what you have in store for us to learn. We are excited to open up the end of the book uh, to get a look at the big grand design of what you have for us. Um, so God, we're excited, and we just ask that you would bless this time, be present among us, um, and just fill our hearts and minds uh, with some new stuff. In your name we pray, amen. So, we are starting the book of Revelation. I'm pretty excited about this. Um, how many of you have studied the book of Revelation before? Show of hands, Dan. All right, well, um, you might be surprised. Uh, I've heard some people say, like, why are we starting in Revelation? Why are you starting at the end? It seems like a weird place to start if we're going to do like Bible study. Um, Truth is, contrary to popular belief, starting at the end actually brings a lot of insight because the book of Revelation brings so much of Scripture together because it is the ultimate piece of God's plan that it gives us a lot of insight into the rest of Scripture. It helps us really understand Scripture as a whole and get the big overarching story, um, which is why we're starting here. So as we open up the book... Um, there are some things I just want to go over, um, some things for you to know before we open up the first chapter. So first, the author was very much likely John, the disciple of Jesus, um, who wrote the gospel in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He refers to himself as John on the island of Patmos four times in the book of Revelation. Uh, this happens in chapter 1, verse 1, um, in chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 9, and in the final chapter, 22, verse 8. He tells us who he is and what he was going on. Church tradition tells us that John was tortured for his faith. Um, they tried to poison him. They tried to kill him. Um, there's some church tradition that says he was actually, they threw oil on him and tried to burn him to death but they couldn't kill John. And so he was such an annoyance to them that they just sent him and exiled him to the island of Patmos, which is where this book was written. That's what John claims in the book, that he's on the island of Patmos. And so there were specific witnesses of the first century, the late first century when this was written, um, specifically Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, uh, Clement of Alexandria and Tertullian, er, all early church fathers um, who helped build the church in the second century, um, who all claimed to be witnesses of the fact that John the Apostle wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, so when was the book of Revelation written? This is actually really important because it will help you understand the uh, interpretation of the book of Revelation. So it was written uh, likely in the mid-90s A.D. of the first century, so likely somewhere between A.D. 94 and A.D. 96, uh, during the reign of Emperor Domitian. Again, there are some early church fathers who mention this and proclaim that this was written during Domitian's reign. Clement of Alexandria, again, Origen, Victorinus, Eusebius, Jerome, 
they all affirm the date happening during Domitian's reign. The reason that that is important is because there are multiple interpretations of Revelation that have happened theologically over time. One of them, which is probably the, the next best argued theology, is the preterist view, which states that all of Revelation, most or all of Revelation's prophecies have been fulfilled already. A problem with that is they claim that the fulfillment of these happened between 68 and 70 AD, which is a problem if the book wasn't written until the mid-90s because the book itself claims to be prophecy. So it hurts your argument if you're saying it was actually written after the fact. It can't be prophecy if it's just stating history. Um, there are some other issues with that argument in terms of the history itself. Nero never claimed to be God. He never required Caesar worship. Um, Nero also died in AD 68, and the temple was destroyed in AD 70. So if Nero was the beast of Revelation, uh, it doesn't make sense that the, temp that the abomination of desolation would have happened after Nero was dead. Um, those are things we'll all get into as we move through the book of Revelation. But just to note, it was written likely in the mid-90s AD. Other things that point to John being the author, um, and I'm going to put in some conjecture here for my own, uh, what I think happened. But John's gospel has a what's called a heptatic structure, which just means it's written within in sevens. So, for instance, um, if you split the book in half, there's Jesus's public ministry, um, and then the last, the Passion Week. During Jesus's public ministry, it's broken up into seven different parts. Um, and then there's seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And there are seven miracles that you see in the Gospel of John. So there's rule of seven in John's writing. As we go through Revelation, you'll see there are a myriad of sevens, just all sorts of things. Seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven seals seven churches. It's just, it's littered with seven. So it's, it of course, it reminds you of John's writing in the Gospel of John. And it's very much focused on the divinity of Christ. John's Gospel is focused on the divinity of Christ, and the book of Revelation is focused on the divinity of Christ. This is where I'm going to give you some conjecture of my own. So there's no real specific date for John's Gospel. Church history states that John was being active in writing late into his life as the turn of the first century was heading into the second century. So most scholars date John's gospel around 90 AD before he was exiled to Patmos. I actually think personally, because there's some issue with the Greek in John's gospel, John's gospel is more sophisticated than the book of Revelation in the Greek. What I think happened is that John wrote the book of Revelation on, on the island of Patmos when he was stuck in exile by himself, and he saw this picture, this, this divine Jesus standing before him in, on Patmos, but then John was later released from Patmos, and he sent himself, he was sent back to Ephesus where his disciples were. And I actually think personally that John's gospel was 
authored by him vocally, but I think it was scribed by one of his disciples in Ephesus uh, because it still would fit the timeline of being in the 90s AD. And I think the reason John's gospel was so focused on Jesus's divinity was because of what he saw on Patmos. And that's why his gospel is a little bit different. Not to mention that John was also the only one physically witnessed the crucifixion and followed Jesus's, Jesus all the way through the Passion Week. As the other disciples ran away, John was there at the cross with Mary. So those are some things I think that's just my own, my own conjecture. There are some other things I want to read to you. Um, this is William Barclay's uh, commentary on the book of Revelation. So this is some things I want to share with you about what he wrote about what Martin Luther said about the book of Revelation, which I think is very interesting. So this is what it says. Luther would have denied the revelation a place in the New Testament, along with James, Jude, Second Peter, and Hebrews. So Martin Luther wanted to kick those books out of the biblical canon, including Revelation. He relegated it to a separate list at the end of his New Testament. He declared that in it, in Revelation, there are only Im there are images and visions such as found nowhere else in the Bible. He complained that notwithstanding the obscurity of his writing, the writer had the boldness to add threats and promises for those who kept or disobeyed his words. Unintelligible though they were, in it, said Luther, Christ is neither taught nor acknowledged in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is not perceptible. That's what Martin Luther said about the book of Revelation. Um, he said that nowhere in it is Jesus taught, which makes no sense to me. I don't know what he was reading. Jesus is all through the pages of Revelation, which is why I'm so excited to talk about it. You get to see a real picture of the glorified Christ. And to say that there are images in the book of Revelation that are found nowhere else in Scripture, um, as brilliant as Martin Luther was, this seems extremely naive. Because one of the reasons it's hard to interpret Revelation for most is because of the lack of understanding of the Old Testament. Revelation is very Old Testament in its writing. A lot of the pictures and allusions you see are to the Old Testament, and things become clear as you have a clear understanding of the Old Testament. Um, to put it another way, um, Dr. or Pastor Skip Heitzig put this in his book, you can understand the book of Revelation, that Revelation itself contains 404 verses. 360 of those verses contain pieces of the Old Testament. Within those, there's over 800 allusions to the Old Testament within the book of Revelation. So it's clear that you have a better understanding of this book when you know the Old Testament. And you'll see some of that as we get through the first chapter tonight. I'm going to be pointing out a lot of stuff. There might be some verses you want to write down to check out as you understand the book of Revelation in the first chapter. Um, then here's a bit of an overview of the whole book. Okay. And we'll get into this as we get into the first chapter. But Revelation is broken up into three or seven parts, depending on how you want to look at it. So there's three parts. The first is chapter one, John's vision of Jesus. The second is chapters two and three, which are known as the things which are, or the seven churches. Jesus's letter that he has John write down to each of the seven churches that gets sent to all of them. And then the third part is the future after these things. So that's the third part. But the third part is broken up 
into five different parts. So you have chapters four and five, you get a picture of what's going on in heaven. And then chapters six through 18, this is the depressing part. This is the tribulation period. This is Jesus's judgment that he's sending down uh, for those who are left. And then you have in chapter 19, his glorious return. Chapter 20, you have the millennial kingdom. And then chapters 21 and 22 go on to talk about the new heaven, new earth, and eternity. Uh, the other thing that you can do if you want to bone up a little bit for next week, uh, or as we, especially as we get into chapters 6 through 18, is to read the first few chapters of the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua has a very, especially the taking of, of Jericho, follows a very similar pattern as the book of Revelation. Let me explain. So in the book of Joshua, which, by the way, Joshua, Yeshua, same, shares the same name as Jesus. In this book, he is conquering the promised land. Before he goes into the promised land, he sends in two spies. During this time of conquest of the promised land, there's a northern alliance opposed to Israel moving through the promised land. Um, and as they're conquering the city of Jericho, there is seven priests blowing trumpets, make the walls fall down. Now, if you compare that to the overview of the book of Revelation, you have Jesus coming back in his glory, being uh, finally conquering earth. Okay, Conquering the promised land for Joshua, conquering earth for Jesus. Before he comes back, you will see two witnesses come. Two witnesses that Jesus sends in to preach the good news uh, and who will be able to defend themselves. There will be, during the last three and a half years of six, chapter 6 through 18, a global alliance that move against Israel outside of, the, outside of Jordan. Jordan is the only place that seems to be accepting of Israel and that looks to be the place where they flee. Um, but we'll get there. Again, that's more six, chapter 6 through 18 stuff. But there's also seven trumpet judgments that Jesus brings down as he, before he comes back. So there's a, there's a similar pattern between the book of Joshua and the book of Revelation. So there you go. Now we can dig in and get started. Move Revelation chapter 1. This is going to go slow, so I'm sorry. But we're going to take our time and really understand what God has to say. So the first verse the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. So already we're going to stop. We're going to pause. So first of all, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So book revelation, the term is apocalypsis in the Greek. The word apocalypsis which translates to apocalypse. So some older Bible translations sometimes have the, the name of the book be apocalypse. We think very negatively about the word apocalypse. It's been associated with the end and destruction, but the word apocalypse really is just simply translated to unveil, to uncover. So the book of Revelation itself is meant to be understood. It's revealing the glorified Christ. It's giving us a better full 
understanded picture of who Jesus really is, what God's ultimate plan is. This is the unveiling, and this is what we're going to study and learn together. The other thing I want to talk about is this, these words must shortly take place, or in the NIV, it must soon take place. That word is part of the reason that there is a preterist view. They thought that this was going to happen immediately, that the future prophecies of Revelation were something that was going to happen very, very quickly. Because it says they will shortly take place, or they will soon take place. Now that word, that's because we read it in English. The word in Greek is entakai. It's where we get the word tachometer. It means velocity. It's what we use to uh, understand the speed or velocity or measure velocity. So what he's saying is once these events start to unfold, they will unfold very quickly. And uh, there was one more thing I wanted to say. Oh, right. He sent it and signified it by his angel. So there's going to be a lot of signs and things that picture imagery, things to help us understand what's coming. Um, and so that's what he's saying. There's going to be signs. And we're going to read through those as we get through this book. Here we go. Verse 2. Moving quick. Who bore, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw? Verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Again, the time is near is a reference to these. Th once things start to unfold, it's going to go very, very quickly. Um, that reference... Peter references it in his, uh, in his letters. Jesus also in Matthew 25 explains the parable of the ten virgins where five were ready with oil and the other five ran out of oil because the master took longer than they expected to come back. Jesus already set us up for this idea that it might take longer than we expect for him to come back, but once these things start to unfold, it'll move quickly. And the other part of this is it literally says the words of this prophecy. This book claims itself to be prophecy, to be foretelling future events. Um, so we know that there are things in here that we're going to learn about the future. And blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. So this is a singular book. This is the only book in the Bible that promises you a blessing. If you read it, if you hear it, if you understand it, you will be blessed. So I'm excited that that's going to happen for all of us. We're all going to get blessed for studying this book. I don't know what the blessing is, but I'm looking forward to it uh, because this church needs one. So let's all get blessed together and bring a blessing to this church for studying this book. All right, now we're going to pick up in verse 4. I know it's going to be slow. It's going to be verse by verse as we get through this. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, so he's telling John to write to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So first of all, he's telling John to write this book to all seven churches. The whole book goes to all seven churches. 
And then in chapters two and three, we'll see actual individual letters to the churches, but they're meant for all of them, even though they're addressed to a singular. The other part of this is the seven spirits. It's also translated the sevenfold spirit of God. So this is one of those sevens in the book of Revelation that you're going to come across. Why is the book of Revelation filled with so many sevens? Because the number of seven represents God's completeness. And this is the God completing his work. And so what is his sevenfold spirit? This is, I'm going to give you a, a place to check out later. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. It states the sevenfold spirit of God, and it names these seven things. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord, and delight. So that's what we're talking about with the sevenfold spirit of God. So here we go. Verse 5. We're chugging along. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from his own sins and blood. It says he is the firstborn from the dead. So th these are the places you should check out as to understand this a little better. Leviticus chapter 23 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20. Paul talks about Jesus being our first fruits, the firstborn among the resurrected. He was the first to resurrect for eternity, the first one to go resurrect physically into eternal life. So he's the first fruits of that. It's the fulfillment of the first fruits, the feast of first fruits, which you'll find in Leviticus chapter 23. Give some background what that is. So here we go. Verse 6. I find my place. Here we go. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So up to this point, we've seen that this is the unveiling of Jesus. Having this, John is having this amazing vision about who Jesus is. He tells him to write this to all seven churches. Um, he is the firstborn of the dead. He loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And now... Uh, he's going to make us kings and priests. If you have your Bible with you, underline kings and priests. Keep that in mind because when we get into chapter 4 of Revelation, that's, that statement will make a big difference. And you also may want to look into First Chronicles 23 and 24 as some background when we get into Revelation chapter 4. Here we go. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, all the tribes of the earth. They will mourn because of him, even so, amen. So he's going to be coming back in the clouds, just like we just talked about in Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascended in the clouds. He's coming back just like he left. He's coming back in the clouds. Um, we also see a vision of that in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Um, they're going to weep over the one they pierced. That's predicted in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And we know that he will step foot on the Mount of Olives because of Acts chapter 1 and Zechariah chapter 14. So as you can see, we're only a few verses into the first chapter, and I've already referenced a whole bunch of the Old Testament. Right? It's, it's going to get worse. 
So hopefully we'll even get through the first chapter tonight because it's already getting already getting pretty late. So we'll get as far as we can. I'll stop myself probably around 7.35. Okay, where are we at? Verse 8. My goodness. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come. This is a reference to Exodus when God, Moses was talking to God and he said, I am that I am. This is Jesus' divinity. Just like we talked, this is John writing about Jesus' divinity and the vision that he had. Now, John, both your brother and your companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos, where the word of God, where the testimony of Jesus Christ. So again, the author identifies himself. It's John. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet. Again, that'll come into play in Revelation chapter 4. That's also 1 Thessalonians 4, John 14. Those are places you want to check out to understand a little more of that. But we'll, we'll really break that down when we get to the fourth chapter. Um, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So right through all seven churches, it's for all of them. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. One like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire, his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. So here we have a description of the glorified Jesus, and it sounds real weird, until you get the Old Testament references that John is making. So why are, is his hair white like wool or like snow? That is a reference to purity. And you see that picture in Psalm 51, verse 7, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Why are his eyes like fire? That's because of he's, as much as Jesus is love, he is also wrath. And that wrath you can see in Psalm 21, verse 9. His feet of bronze. Uh, are a reference to his judgment. And you know we can know that because Exodus chapter 25 through 40 is the tabernacle. And you see in chapters 30 through 38, all of the tabernacle instruments that were used for sacrifice made of brass. It's where judgment was, our judgment was placed on an animal on the bronze altars or the brass altars. And then the double-edged sword, of course, Hebrews 4.12, God's word. Word of God is like a double-edged sword. Cuts to bone and marrow. So there you go. Lots of Old Testament references in there help us understand that he's saying Jesus is pure. He has He's full of wrath and judgment. Um, and he is just bursting forth with the word of, as the word of God. So that's what you see in that picture. So chapter, or verse 17, here we go. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives 
and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and death. So this is a reference to Jesus' conquering of death. Um, and you also will see this in, in John chapter 5, verse 14. Or, I'm sorry. This is a reference to Jesus' conquering death, but you also see the reaction of John is very appropriate. And it's also very similar to the reaction of Joshua in Joshua chapter 5, verse 14, as he falls down face first um, when he comes before the commander of the army of the Lord. So this idea, and it happens to Ezekiel too in the first chapter as he goes into the throne room of God. When you get put before the glorified version of Jesus, the right reaction is to just fall down in humility. So that's what we see here. And then verse 18 is the power of the resurrection, the power of he has the, the keys to Hades, the keys to death. Uh, and now we're we're actually, we're going to make it. Verse 19, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. This is the linchpin. This is the key to understanding the book of Revelation. John, write down, this is, if, you, if you're highlighting, this is the one you highlight. John, write down the things which, which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will happen after this. Okay? So, the things which you have seen, this is the vision of Jesus, this is chapter 1. The things which are, are chapters 2 and 3. It's the churches, it's the church age, it's the time of the Gentiles, writing to all of the churches in chapters 2 and 3, and then the things that will happen after these things, that is the phrase in Greek, Meta tauta. Uh, if you want to write that down, M E T A space T A U T A. Meta tauta. That phrase becomes extremely important to under because it will divide the book from present to future. So there you go. That's if you want a key verse, that's the one that helps you really unlock and understand this whole book. So here we are, verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand are the seven golden lampstands, or, all right, and the seven golden lamp, lampstands. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So here's an interesting thing. Uh, Jesus himself explains what John is seeing. He says, these are the seven churches for which I'm going to tell you to write to. Um, there's some commentaries that point out that the seven churches may actually be an outline of church history, that each church may represent a period in church history. We'll talk a little bit about that as we go through chapters two and three. I don't worry too much about it until you get to the last two churches because that gives you the most insight of when the end will be here, if that is the true, true story. Um, but the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. This gives us, gives us some idea of how things work in the heavenly realms. So these seven angels had specific locality to these seven churches. You'll see as we go through the rest of Revelation that there are specific angels designated to specific spots. Uh, so it gives us an idea that there's actually like a, there's a commanding uh, structure and hierarchy to how things are working. And there, there's likely an angel that is assigned to us, or at least to our region, protecting us. Um, so that should give us even more boldness 
as we pray to know that God is going to send someone to fight our battles uh, in the spiritual realm for us. So there we go. It's Revelation chapter 1. It was a lot of information. It's going to get really fun as we move forward um, into the next couple of chapters.